if you just like have, you know, these statements and then just say, bye, you know? So you kind of have this, what's the, what are the last few things that I can say to kind of round home and, and, and get to the end of this? And so when I look at a lot of these, these letters to the churches, the last chapter typically seems to be a catch-all. It's like they're trying to throw all the last little bits of information back at the church. Like, hey, if I can give you any last-minute little things, here's what I want to give you. And so when we get to 1 Peter, it's kind of a hodgepodge of uh, a few different topics, right? And, and yet, it kind of all makes sense because he's like, listen, if I can give you any last-minute words of advice, any last-minute encouragement, here it is all wrapped up into the last little bits of this letter. And so when we look at Peter, uh, 1 Peter 5, we're going to see him kind of jump around uh, from a couple different topics. He's going to talk about church leadership. He's going to talk about mental health. And then he's going to talk about standing firm, okay? And, 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 and it's like he's all over the place, but he's really not because he's saying, hey, listen, I love you so much, and here's my last little tidbits in this letter to you to give you some good words of wisdom and godly advice. So I want to jump right into it. There's, there's four thoughts that I have this morning. The first thought is this, is he has a word to church leaders, Okay? And, and being the church leader here, we have a, we have a, a leadership team uh, underneath me as well that, that we meet once a month, and, um, and then we have leaders over other things. And, but, but I'm speaking this as the guy that I know that me and my wife launched this church. We are the pastors of this church. But I want you to understand something. Pastoring a church does not mean that we should have a big head about it. I mean, and, and listen, I've been, I've been in big churches, thousands of people. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I served in a church of 6,000 uh, in Austin, Texas. I've been in mid-sized churches my, most of my life of two to 300, uh, which actually in, the, in, in uh, the nation of America is actually considered the lower end of a large church. Uh, if you're over 250, you're considered a large church in America. Um, and then anything under, you know, that that. 50 to lower 200s considered kind of a small to medium church, right? And so, so I've run the gamut of all the different uh, sizes of churches and been a leader in most of these churches. And I love what Peter writes about the call to church leadership. He says this in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. He says, and now, and now is kind of like a final statement. I've, I've gotten through most of the letter, and now... A word to you who are elders in the church. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. What a beautiful encouragement and yet challenge to church leaders. And this doesn't just go to pastors, but this is, is anybody who serves in church leadership, anybody who aspires to uh, work in church leadership. We got some young guys that, uh, and I know Sean's probably going, I'm not young, but you know, he's younger than me. So he's young. Sean's a great uh, young leader. Cole, um, I know he, you know, uh, he's eight. Uh, no, you're, oh, God, you haven't been 18 in a while. He's 21. Um, and, and by the way, he's going to be preaching in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, I'm, I probably just, his heart rate probably just jumped up to 120 beats per minute. Uh, but 
I am super excited. I, it, listen, if there is not one Sunday that is uh, packed this summer, I hope it's that Sunday, okay? Because, because we went over his message on Thursday, and it, it is dynamic. I cannot wait for you to hear his message, okay? I really, really cannot. Um, but but it's, it's this idea that church leadership isn't just one person. It is, it is a conglomerate of people that make up the house. And now, yes, in the dichotomy of, of what church leadership looks like. There's always a pastor that is, you know, the vision caster, the, the head guy that's, you know, running the vision. But it doesn't mean, and I love what Peter writes in it as far as what it looks like. So there was four things that kind of came from this for a, a word for church leaders. And so you may be sitting there and going, well, I'm not a church leader. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear what is being held accountable for me as your leader, okay? I want you to know what I strive for. Because it's important for you to know where I believe a church leader should look like and what I should be striving to do. So that if, if I ever get off course, people that have the ability to, to, to speak into my life and you guys as, as, as my church family will say, hey, was that right? I got questions about this. You know, I don't get offended when somebody says, you know, I got a question. I, you know, I know that I don't have it all together. I know that I don't make all the right decisions all the time. I do my best to lean into God and ask him to, to show me and give me wisdom and, and the Holy Spirit to guide and lead me, but it does not mean that I'm always going to get it right. And so these four things that, that came out of that set of scriptures for church leaders to look at is first, care for the flock that is entrusted to you. And this one gets me all the time. I was just telling a couple people that, that a Sunday like this, um, three years ago, would have, I, I, I'll be, this me being transparent, I would have gone home and been depressed. You may be going, why? Worship was good. Things were good. It's, it's because when, when we play the, the Instagram game of what other churches look like, because, by the way, most churches and most pastors follow other churches and other pastors on social media, and when you see their best against what you feel isn't yours, you always feel less than. And this is a word to any social media. When we see somebody else's best versus what we think is not our best, their reality versus our reality, we will always feel less than. And the enemy uses that less than to make you feel like you should stop. And so, so many times when we have a low attended Sunday, hello summer, right? Um, because we're gonna hit and miss. We're gonna have su su uh, Sundays that are full of the church and go, but when we have those Sundays that aren't, the enemy will come into people like myself, other pastors, leaders of the church, and go, see, I told you, you don't have it together. You can't even keep your church full. You think you're really that good? You really think that you were called to this community? And I would go home, you know, three, three years ago, uh, post-COVID, like that first year, I'd go home, lay on the couch, take a nap, but I would take a nap in depression of, dang, I'm not good enough. God, why would you call me here? Because my problem was I'd get on and I'd compare other pastors' flocks to mine. And Peter writes to leaders and says, stop focusing on other flocks. Worry about the flock that you've been entrusted with. You've been given a people. Pour into them. Invest in them. Love them. Care for them. Pray for them. Rally them, encourage them, so that as you, are, as you grow and you're entrusted with more, you will know what it means to invest in people. Care for the flock that is entrusted to you. I cannot be uh, 
I cannot be entrusted to the wisdom or the guidance of a victory or, or, or any other church here in town, the, the Catholic church that we partner with, by the way. I love uh, uh, Father Mike. He is an awesome guy. I think there's some really great pastors here in town, okay? I'm friends with a lot of them. But I'm not entrusted to their flock. So when so, and I've, I, you know, we'll have this all the time. Well, you know, so and so at this church says this. I don't care. I, I'm not the pastor over Camden, Arkansas. I'm the pastor over Freedom Church. My my goal and my call and my heart is to be the best pastor and leader I can for my home and for my people. And as God grows that. Then, then I will thank him for that, and I'll be entrusted with those people. But it's not my job to pastor everybody. And by the way, that takes a huge weight off a of pastor's shoulders when they realize that I don't have to pastor everybody. I just have to pastor my people. And, and, and so when somebody goes, well, you know, so-and-so's, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Talk to their pastor. Get them in church. Maybe, they're not, maybe they don't know Jesus. That's not, I can't pastor the unsaved yet because they don't want to know Jesus. And so my job is to lead my flock and to love my flock as much as I can. The next thing he says I think is super key, and a lot of pastors get here, says that you need to watch over them willingly, not grudgingly. And you, listen, I've talked to many of pastors on burnout. And it's just going through the motion. Do the same thing over and over again every week because that's what they know to do well. And so we just go and we just check out. And we listen. I was me and Cole when we were going over a message um, this last Thursday. I said, you know, me and me and my wife Stephanie, we we prepare messages way differently. When Stephanie preaches, she has to write everything out, like it's word for word, and it's like a thousand pages long. And but she goes over it, over it, over it, over it again to where she gets up and she barely looks at it. Me, I'm like highlighted and very few words, and I can turn two words into a whole hour. It's just ingrained in me to be able to look at stuff and create a message. And so it can become real easy to preach from what I've got within me instead of what God has given me, okay? And so we've got to be willing leaders, not begrudgingly. Oh, God, i got to go to church again. Oh, I've got to preach again because these guys just can't get in their own word. <laughs> I've got to drag them along. Listen, we listen. I've been, I've been there. I've been, hey, I've been there as a pastor where you just kind of go through the motion and you check off the box. I've also been there underneath and watched pastors who who don't live a life according to the word of God, but they get in here and they want to lead because of the limelight and because of that. And so, so my goal is, hey, listen. Sometimes pastors need check ins. Hey, how you doing, pastor? Now, listen, that doesn't mean after church, all of you run up to me and go, Pastor, are you okay? Can I pray for you? Listen, I'm, I'm good, okay, just so you all know. Uh, but it, it's nice sometimes for somebody to go, hey, Pastor, how's your week? Man, thanks for asking. It sucked. <laughs> and, and I love that we have that relationship where I can share that with you guys. I've also got Pastor Michael in California who we check in regularly. Matter of fact, I was just on the phone with him uh, last week where we were talking about life and talking about all the things that have been going on. Um, and I've got another uh, good friend of ours who's uh, part of the overseer pastors, Pastor John Bohr in Vegas, who uh, we talk probably every couple of months. Matter of fact, I just texted him this week. Uh, it's his birthday. And, and so I text him happy birthday and just checked in with him. And so the goal is pastors cannot alienate themselves. 
And, and, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, or, but, but listen, the reality is a lot of us have been in church. If you've been in the church world long enough, you've been there where the pastor alienates himself and has very few friends, has anybody that can actually hold them accountable. It's because they're just going through the motion. And, and here's the reality is they don't think that they could do anything else. Some pastors want to get out of, the, uh, out of the calling, but they don't know how to because they don't know how to do anything else. And it's a scary place when you're serving out of your own capabilities and capacities and then trust, and instead of trusting God with what he has given you. I am honored to, to, to serve here, to love here, to pastor here, to, to be the founding pastor here, to see what God is doing in the midst of our people. But I always want to serve from a willing heart, not a grudging heart. The third thing that he says to church leaders is that you got to serve. In other words, Lord, don't Lord, but lead. Listen, I'm never going to call a serve day and not serve. I'm never going to ask people to serve and not be right alongside of you doing something. One of my biggest pet peeves in churches is when, when the pastor says, hey, we're going to get together, we're going to do these things, and then like they don't show up. <laughs> and you're like, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. I promise you, yes, it does. Okay? It does. Or, hey, we need more people to do this. Love people. Get at the door and greet. And you're like, yeah, I can smile and shake a hand. And he's like in the back green room. Can I tell you the worst thing that's ever been created in churches is green rooms? Some of you are like, there's, those, there's things like that? Oh, yeah. Listen, and, and, and I hate to like just lay out my, my burden and my... my, my uh, frustration with, with the modern-day church, but the reality is, is that when we create the, the haves and have-nots in the church world, we have lost the gospel. And I've watched worship teams and pastors never set in foot and be with the church and come out of some back room like Batman. Um, and, and, and listen, I'm not saying all churches that are like that are bad, because listen, I've got, I've got friends that they do five services on a Sunday. They're doing something right, and they love Jesus. So in between the eight hours that they're doing church, yeah, sometimes they need to go and, 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 and catch their breath between services. But it's when we decide that we don't ever need to be in front of the people, shaking hands, loving people, being in their life. We miss it. My, my calling is to not serve over, but to serve with. And that's my goal is as a church, we're going to lock arms and link arms, and we're going to run the race that is set before us to make Camden the best place, the most godly place that we possibly can because we love this community together. So he says, he says don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And then he finally says, listen, there's a reward. There's a reward for, for the leaders that do it well when Jesus comes back. So these are the, the things that Peter sets up for the church leader, right? He says, this is what you as a church leader, as an elder, should, should strive for. Then, then, so he goes there, a word for church leaders. Hold me accountable, I don't care. Because if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'm hopefully man enough to admit it. But hopefully more times than not, it's, it's, a, it's an encouraging, challenging, working together. The next thing he has is he says, this is what a church leader looks like now. All of you, here's the response to church leadership. Here's the response to leadership. And he says this uh, in, in 1 Peter 5, 5, he says, in the same way. So he says, the same way we're calling out our leaders to be great leaders, in the same way we're calling all of you out to be good churchgoers and, and body of the Christ, right? He says, in the same way, you who are younger, that doesn't necessarily mean an age, must accept the authority of the elders. 
And all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's two things that he gives to to the rest of the body. He says, here's your leaders. Here's what we need to hold them up to. Here's what we need to pray that they strive for. Here's what we need to, to acknowledge their role in. Now here's your role. Your role is to accept authority. We hate that word. Nobody's going to be over me. I'm my own man. Everything is about authority. Every structure has authority. You may be the kingpin at your house and just be the low man at the totem pole at work. You may be the king of your castle, but you also need to know how to play the servant, right? What does God say? He says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. In other words, even, even the one who is the top needs to know what it means to serve out of love and humility. So he says, listen, your, our role as, as church leaders is to guide and lead you, but your role as the, the body of Christ underneath the leader is to accept their authority. Now, here's, here's that line, okay, because not all, it doesn't mean just blindly follow. It doesn't mean just, well, pastor says this is biblical. No. That's where the European kingship church got it wrong. The king would you know, say, this is what is good with the, the, the world, and, and this is what the Bible says, and you can't read it because you're dumb, and I'm going to tell you. Priest, go ahead. And you think I'm joking, but, and I'm not knocking Catholic, but uh, it, the Catholic setup back in that day before Martin Luther really got a hold of it was they're too dumb to understand and interpret the word of God, so do not write it in English. Keep it in Latin. And the priest would then read it in Latin and then explain it to them in their language. And so how can you grow and, and hold somebody accountable when you don't even know if they're reading the right words? I've always said, man, if I preach something and it don't sound right, ask me. Question me. Maybe I didn't, maybe, maybe I missed it. I am not above saying I'm sorry or I was wrong. Or you know what? That's an interesting take on that. Let me go study that. I think it's funny when people go, I get this all the time out, out, like out in the world, right? People go, well, you're a pastor. What does the Bible say about? Like, I'm a Rolodex of scriptures. Well, hold on. Let me check my robot brain. You know, like, no. Half of my answers are, well, that's interesting. Let me go back and let me study that. Because I could probably give you some, you know, real off-the-cuff answer that sounds good, but I'd rather give you a biblical response that is right. You know what I mean? And so your job as, as the church, as the body, is to say, we don't, listen, here's, here's, a, here's a tough one. We don't have to agree with everything the leadership does, but if we're called to the house, we're going to accept the authority. Thank you. <laughs> what does that mean? It, it means that if I'm going off in left field, there's going to be people that check me, okay? But if I'm not, and it just isn't your flavor, if you're called to this house, it's okay. Just go with it. Now, if I'm unbiblical, if I'm ungodly in a decision or a choice, I'm going to have people that say, nope, that's not right. But if I'm just doing something that maybe you're like, well, I don't know, pastor. Fog, fog machines don't seem like they should be in church. Well, show me the scripture, or is that a preference? Right? Because, I mean, let's just be real. It's a preference for me. I like them. I've also made this place look like an 80s club uh, scene, and therefore, I'm sorry some Sundays, okay? And we just, like, you know, open the doors and let them, you know, because it's not supposed to look like that. But every, you know, every now and then, but listen, it, people, well, church, church shouldn't, you know, pastors shouldn't wear T-shirts. I've heard that one, too. 
I'm sorry. And don't get me, I mean, listen, I could theology most people to death with, with where, you know, if that's the case, then I really should be wearing man dresses and a turban if we want to get go there. And women, you better get your jewelry off and stop cutting your hair and dyeing your hair. And, I mean, if we want to go old school, let's go old school. But the reality is that even Old Testament, that's not even what they were saying. It was that the fact that we don't want our hearts to be focused and given to anything other than Jesus or God first, Okay. That's, that's really what the Bible's line is. And, and, and so the authority aspect is, is are, you, are you holding something biblical or are you holding something that's preference? If it's biblical, let's talk about it. If it's preference, if you're called here, let's understand that I've got a calling and a vision as the pastor and I'm checking it with our leadership and I'm checking it with my pastor friends and you've got to trust me, okay? That's the authority. Authority doesn't mean that I am the king. King Scott says, King Scott goes. No. Like I said, we meet as a leadership. We try to do it once a month. I talk with Pastor Michael very frequently. He's the one that I check a lot of things through uh, as a pastor. And then I pray and I seek God's wisdom and, and, and and his wisdom in how to run this church. God, give me wisdom. And so my, my goal is by the time that it gets you, you're excited about it. Sometimes you're not, and that's okay. It's okay to disagree with preference sayings. If you're called here, let's run together. We can disagree and still love to do church together. The, the other thing that he says is that is dress in humility towards one another. Why? Because when we preference one another, we will get over the preference things. When, 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 when I say, you know what, I care about you, and so therefore if we have a disagreement with how church should look, if I'm called here, I'm okay with the differences. I'm okay with us having a disagreement in something because I'm preferring one another. I'm praying for one another. I'm living in humility saying, I entrust my life to you and I put people before me so that it's not just about me. Life isn't, listen, life is not a a dichotomy where it's me and everybody around me just has to fit into my bubble. If you don't do what I want, how I want it, when I say it, then, then you can't be my friend. You won't have friends. You'll be a pain to deal with at work. You will be unhappy in marriages and friendships. If the world has to revolve around you, then you will constantly be finding that you struggle immensely in life because then nobody wants to be around you. But when you do what the Bible says and you you dress in humility, you dress saying, God, how do I care about others? How do I pray for others? How how do I pray that God's wisdom would give me wisdom to, to deal with people? then we address the world differently and we see them through Jesus' eyes, which is one of the biggest keys that I think we, we need in life is that I want to see people the way that Jesus sees them. That's, that's, that's the church response from Peter to leadership. Accept authority, dress in humility. The third thing that he says in this chapter is he says this, God cares. I called this mental health, right? God cares. He cares about you. If you don't believe me, look at 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries. Let's just let that sit for a minute. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. When you pray for two hours a day, 
when you read through Leviticus five times in your life, when you have the ability to speak in tongues or heal the sick, no, none of that is important to God in caring for you. It literally says when you come before him and you give him your worries and you give him your cares, he cares for you. We want to make life so difficult. Why? Well, I'll go back to the social media thing. That's one of it, right? Because we're seeing everybody's life, but we're only seeing their best versions. Have you ever seen anybody post a picture where their hair's a mess, their teeth is un- uh, aren't, isn't brushed, you can see like yesterday's dinner still in their teeth, um, you know, they're, they're a mess, they're like in, a, in a, a moo-moo gown that they wore to bed, and, and their kids are like, you know, throwing mud on the wall. I've never seen that social media post. But I've seen a lot of posts where they've been dolled up and then they catfish you with one of those filters. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Half of y'all in here probably use one. I'm not call, I'm looking at the lights, okay? So I'm, I'm not talking to anybody specifically. I'm just saying y'all know. Because there's people that I look on social media, I'm like, nah, I know who you are. You don't look like that. <laughs> I know better. But why? Because we have bought into the lie that the world has to see the very best of us all the time. All the time. If I am any amount vulnerable, then it's not okay. And Peter says vulnerability is what will get you to the heart of God. Cast all of your worries. When your pet dies, he wants to know about it. When you stub your toe and it hurts like crazy, and you're like, God, take this pain away, where it may sound stupid to everybody else, it's okay. We're not praying to the God of Stefan. Oh, Stefan, dang it, Stefan, make this go away. You know? Stefan doesn't have the power to rule in my life. God does. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to cast my, all my cares and worries onto somebody else. Sean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you every time I have a worry. That's going to overload him. He's going to stop answering. <laughs> exactly. Why? Because God has the capacity to care for you in all of your worries. All of your struggles. In the most depressed moments of your life and the highest highs of your life. God has the capacity to fill the need of your emotional and spiritual health on every aspect. And we love to run to God when it's good. We love to give him praise when when good things happen. But man, it is tough to leave our stuff at the altar of God, whether it's in our room or at church or in our car, and just lay bare before him and say, God, I am struggling today. And we wonder why we don't grow in our faith the way that we should. Well, because we like all the good spiritual, but we don't get vulnerable with all the hard spiritual. Some of us need to learn how to be vulnerable before God. Some of you have have stuff that you have never dealt with before God because you're, well, if God knew, newsflash, God knows. If God knew what I was thinking, newsflash, he knows. The the Bible says he knows. What he wants is a relationship where you'll talk about it. 
What, what he wants is that communication for him to say, God, I'm open to whatever you've got for me. So he says, cast your cares, cast your worries, your struggles. When you have a bad day, it's okay for you to not have to fix it because I'm here to help you. God cares. So many times we're just told to suck it up. Right? Suck it up, buttercup. Put your, put your big girl panties on. At my, my, our, our old pastor's wife in California, that was her, that was her saying when, when things got tough around the church. Come on, put your big girl panties on. Like, I'm not a girl. I don't have big girl panties. Skinny guy. Skinny-ish. Not as fat. I don't know. Like, but I'm not a big girl, okay? But that was her saying. It was her way of saying, let's not address it, just deal with it. Okay? Because in her life, and, you, and I'm not, listen, I'm not saying anything about the older generation, but I'm saying the older generation, you dealt with things differently. You know, you talk to, 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 to people that were raised um, during World War II and, and older. Um, you talk with people that have been raised by parents that have served in the war or served through the, or, or lived through the Great Depression or any, like when, when that is their mindset, it is you do what you got to do. You don't, you don't drop a tear. You just put your head down and you work and you don't deal with things. But eventually you break because we're human. And, and, and so, so that we don't explode emotionally, we have to have an outlet. And I'm telling you, first of all, the Bible says that we, one another, should be each other's outlet. But more, more importantly, we can't be just the only person you run to. It says, throw your cares on to God. What does that mean? It means that in your, whatever your prayer life looks like, when you go to God, you say, God, here's what I'm struggling with. He wants to verbalize it, speak it out. Well, he knows. Yes, he does, but he wants to hear you. He wants to hear your voice say, here's what I'm struggling with, God. It's okay to say it out loud. And you say it, and then, and then God's like, and you're like, sometimes just saying it just releases a, a weight off of your shoulder. And then you, listen, here's the hard part with this. Then you shut up. And you let God speak to you. Can I tell you the most uncomfortable part of prayer is when you sit and you pray, and you use your words, and then the Bible says that you be still. If I'm quiet for 30 seconds right now, all of y'all start squirming. And does the amen come? Because we don't like silence. Why? Because silence has been equated to this weird, uncomfortable void. That's where God works is in the weird, uncomfortable void where we say, God, here's my struggle. Now I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. And in those times where I sit and listen, sometimes a, a verse will come to my head. Sometimes a song will come to my head. Sometimes a thought. What does God sound like? Well, to me, he sounds like my, my voice, but with words that I normally wouldn't give myself. It sounds like my voice. You know, there's no like big open boom like, Scott, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt. I'm like, I would be lost if God talked to me like that. I just know like when it's a, a, a God voice and it's a me thought. Like a God thought, I'm like, no, nah, I wouldn't give that thought. <laughs> How do I deal with this person? Sock him in the face. That's a me thought. 
pray for them. Ask them if there's anything going on in their life that they need help for. Ooh, that's a God thought. And so I lean in and I listen to God's voice. Right? God, I'm dealing with, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with my emotions right now. Drowned in a half gallon of Blue Bell ice cream. That's a me thought. That's a me thought. Right? Hey, why don't you, why don't you talk to somebody? Ugh, that must be God. See, we will always be able to know in those quiet times what is me and what is God because God will always lead back to his scripture and what his scripture says. He says, listen, I care for you, not just your spiritual growth, but your mental health, your physical, everything about you I care about, so come to me with. And the last thing is this. So he talks about church leadership. He talks about the, the church body and, and, and our response, and then he talks about our, our mental, our spiritual health. And then he says, he gives this last challenge in the, to stand firm. To stand firm. First Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. I love this. And, and, and I read this, this set of scripture through the mindset of a military mind. Okay? And, and, and so there's four, four things as we round out this morning that I want to give to you from these points. And Hannah, you can go ahead and come on up. Um, but I want to give you these four thoughts of how to stand firm. And the first one he talks about, he says, stay alert and watch your enemy. If you know anything about military, um, whether it's modern or whether it's old school, there was always a barrier, always whether it was a wall or a, a fence, whatever, and they would always have watchmen. Old school, they would have them up high, and they would, you know, you see them in the movies on the castles where they're walking around and they're, they're, they're looking down. What are they doing? Their job is to watch the surrounding areas while everybody else is sleeping, while everything else is peaceful. Their job is to stay alert to the surroundings of the enemy trying to attack them. And Peter writes to the church and says, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Because he's not going to come in ways that you're not going to be attacked. I've said this all the time. I've never been drunk in my life. Not, not once. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what sounds like a really good idea? Let's go get drunk. The enemy isn't going to attack me there because I have built up my, my defenses. It's like, look, I, if I have a drink every now and then, that's one thing, but I never want to lose control of myself. That's never seemed fun to me. I'm not going to wake up and the enemy go, hey, you know what sounds really cool at 40? Let's get drunk for the first time. So the enemy is going to come at you where your weakness is, not where you're strong. That's why I say what, what isn't like a struggle for a lot of you is a struggle for me. Because when I look at the church world, I, I see both the, the spiritualness. I also see the business side of it. And I also see all the social media stuff. And it, it challenged, man, it is, it's, I, there's times where I just have to stay off of social media just for that. Because I'm like, I am tired of constantly seeing that stuff in my mind. And the enemy goes, see, you're not good enough. 
You're not good enough. Look at Pastor So-and-so. He's killing it. You just need to get out of the way. Yeah, see, I got to stay alert to that. And so when I know, when I feel that rising up in me, I need to put my phone away. Hello. And that's a word of wisdom for any of us. This thing is the greatest tool and the worst enemy in our life. It can do amazing things, and it can be the most detrimental, hurtful thing in your life. Mark Zuckerberg, who owns uh, the world, uh, I mean Facebook, He recently came out and said that they have had in their possession for years reports that they have done through for Facebook and, and Instagram because he owns both of them now uh, that that have acknowledged that they are doing detrimental uh, issues to people through social media. They have statistics that have shown that they have completely made this world a disaster in how people view the reality of their world around them because of social media. And if you don't think that's not a ploy of the enemy, if you don't think that the, that the, that the enemy isn't smart enough, you know, we see him as this, this ugly little pitchforked, you know, devil horn guy. The Bible says that he, is, he comes as an angel of light. In other words, he wants to look good. He wants to sound good. He wants to catch you off guard. And he wants to entice you with things that are good. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, you know, hey, man, you want some drugs? I'll, I'll, I'll sell you. No. Hey. You want to hit a depression? You want to hit a worry? You want a hit of comparing yourself to everybody else? Come on, take a hit. And here's the problem. We, we, all day long, all day long, every Sunday, right? My phone lights up with how much screen time I've had that week. Sometimes I look at that and I go, oh God, help me next week not to do that. Stay alert to the tools of the enemy. Maybe yours is finances. Maybe yours is friendships. Maybe it's, it's, it's doing whatever it takes to feel loved. Stay alert to the ways the enemy is going to come after you. And then it says, stand firm against him. What good does it do if I know that this can be a, a great disaster in my life, but I never change it? Oh, I'm alert. I'm aware. How many, how many, how many addicts, they, they're like, oh, you know, I know I'm an addict. And, and the cliche saying of, you know, the first step of an addict is to admit that you are one. But if you don't change it, what good does it do? Stay alert. Make yourself aware. But if you don't do anything about it, being alert means nothing. You just know what route of destruction you're going down. I've always said this. Repentance is not just acknowledging your faults. It's asking for forgiveness and then turning away from that and going the opposite way. So stay alert and then stand firm. Stand firm against the enemy and his ways to try to bring you down. And then he says, be strong in your faith. It's not good enough to just go to church. It's not good enough to just hear somebody preach a message. Man, we need to be in our words daily. We need to be in our Bible, whether it's through the U version app, whether it's through picking up a, the, the printed 
Bible, whether it's in Bible study with other people. We, we do the Right Now Media. Man, we give that away to you. You can download it uh, and, and watch video, study videos and, and, and devotional videos for free on your phone, wherever you want. It is our gift to you. All you have to do is go to our website and the link says Right Now Media. You pay nothing for it. All you do is sign up and it, the, over 20,000 different studies at your fingertips. We want to make it so easy to study God's word here at Freedom. You have no excuse because the enemy is coming after you. To be strong in your faith, to have prayer partners, to, to have good community that loves God and loves you. And then he ends with this. Remember your family of believers. All over the world are going through the same thing. How many have ever heard this in their life? You just don't understand. You'll never understand what I'm going through. Can I tell you that's the biggest lie of the enemy to isolate you, to make you feel like you're the only one that's ever gone through it? Newsflash. Somebody else has gone through it. Maybe it's not me. But somebody has. And so the goal is to tell the, the enemy to be quiet and to find somebody who is maybe five steps ahead of you or two steps ahead of you and say, hey, how'd you get there? How'd you overcome this struggle in Christ? How'd you get to a place where your faith is stronger here? Because it doesn't have to be your pastor. It could just be a fellow believer, a fellow person in the body. You say, Let, come on, I'll show you. One step at a time. Let's, you know what? Tuesday afternoons, let's meet. Let's pray. Let's, let's have a phone conversation. Hey, you know what? I'm going to check in with you on text message. Ask you how you're doing. It's called an accountability partner. And all it is is somebody that's a little bit ahead of you or a lot a bit ahead of you that understands where you're at and to say, hey, let's, let's, let's do life together. And get, here's the cool part. When, when you have that and they help you find health and they help you find spiritual growth, guess what happens when you're like five steps down the road? You turn around and you're like, hey, I recognize that in you. I've been there. Hey, come with me. Now your accountability partner, and now you're an accountability partner with somebody else. It's, it's the Paul syndrome. Paul had Barabbas, or, or uh, not Barabbas, not the sinner, Barnabas, thank you. <laughs> he knew where I was going. He had Barnabas, and he had Timothy. He had somebody who was a co-laborer doing ministry that he could talk with. And then he had Timothy, an up-and-coming young man who he raised up and at 17 was running a church. Because he was willing to say, I know I need help, and I've got Barnabas, and we're, we're, we're doing life together. And Timothy, I'm going to raise you up. The devil says, nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody cares what you're going through. And we believe that. And he says, remember that there's people all over the world that love Jesus that are going through things like you and they want to link arms with you. Don't let the enemy win in your life. Get people in your life that will encourage you and pray with you. Build up a biblical system in your life, whatever works for you, to have a great relationship. Pr prayer is important. Getting into scripture daily is important. And having good community is important. If you have those three things, and worship, those four things, 
If you have those four things in your life on a regular basis, I promise you, your life, will you'll start to see the, the, the benefits in your life. Notice I didn't say have a good bank account, drive a nice car, have a big house. The enemy wants you chasing things that are temporary. God wants you chasing things that are eternal. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would heed the words of Peter this morning. First and foremost, I'll pray for myself as a pastor. The Father, that you give me wisdom and guidance to lead this church in the most humblest of ways. To know that you are the head of this church. I'm just a willing vessel to lead. Father, give me your spirit to, to lead well. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see your calling and your purpose. And also give me a, a spirit that is willing to take correction from those that you have given in my life so that we can be the best version of Freedom Church for your kingdom. God, I pray for our church that we would run together as a family unit. God, you've called us to help this community know you, to make a difference, to discover their purpose. And so God, that's what our call is. And we will run together and we will link arms and we will not, we will not major on the minor things, but we'll be focused on kingdom business. God, help us to stand strong. Help us to know where the enemy is going to attack us. And God, help us to put people around us, community of faith people behind us and around us to, to speak into our lives and to let us know that the enemy doesn't get a foothold. God, help us to stand firm and, and, and be faithful in our word and, and prayer and worship and friendships that glorify you. And God, I thank you that you care. Even as I say that, I believe that there are people here that there are things in their life that they have not given to you yet. I pray that this week they would find time to be still and know that you are God. To verbalize the things that maybe they've been holding on to and then give space for you to speak to them. We pray healing over the name. We pray healing over circumstances. We pray healing over relationships. And that God, that you would be glorified in our lives. God, I pray that we would give opportunity this week to speak of you, to share our story with others, and to live out the goodness of God, that people would know how amazing you are. God, I thank you for those that financially give to the church. I'm so grateful for those that find it important to make sure that we can not just keep the doors open and the lights on, but that we can make a difference in the community. That we could do things like access, where we're able to help uh, send these, these students to to camp this week and, and keep it cheap for them. Where we can do things like serve day where we invest in the community and serve the community and love on the community. God, help us to always have a heart for our community. We're thankful, we're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey.